Blog Talk Radio. Black free thinkers, where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night. Free thought, we don't walk by faith in the lost mind state, cause it's not quite safe. We don't recruit, we're not peers from a church, so don't be spooked, we're not here to convert. The only truth is not pulled from a text, show me proof that's not good after death. This is the challenge to think for yourself, break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt. 310-982-4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through The next tree branch is Rainer and it's best you listen to Reason, science, and skepticism It's loaded with straight facts, inspiring and dope She can make Bill Nye retire his lab coat Humans are hilarious and every other Friday I'd like to hear commentary on culture people So I hit up Super Mario and bring in Emmeline To discuss why we're capable of ultra evil It's normal for my brain to have a two-way street But if there's collisions, well then you got to just mention it And don't be afraid of where the truth may lead Ignoring your position of cognitive dissonance When Father Teresa preaches, it's hard to stop So Kim paired me up with Alfred in the barbershop I have a extended family and all these places now As the free thought tree pollinates around this is the challenge to think for yourself Break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt 310-982-4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through Where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night we don't walk by faith in a lost mind state because it's not quite safe. And a happy Friday to everybody. Happy Friday. How's it going? Uh, I want to welcome you again to Black Freethinkers Radio. Um, and want to welcome you tonight to the show. Uh, again, it's Black Freethinkers Radio, the only radio show that you're going to hear tonight that doesn't have anything to talk about regarding Jay-Z and Solange in that elevator. I want to welcome you to the show and say what's up to <laughs> We just don't care. <laughs> we just don't care. Uh, well, let's see. Hi to Kim. She's there with us. I know Alfred's going to be joining us as well. I don't know if he's going to line just yet, but if you are, brother, what's up to you? Um, we want to let you know the number is 310-982-4273. We want to hear from you. Um, we got a lot to discuss, so we're going to try and hop into it as quickly as possible. Sister Kim, how are you doing tonight? I am doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. Um, besides the weather here in Chicago, no real complaints. Not going to help us anyway. So I am looking forward to tonight's show. We've gotten a lot of good feedback, so there are a lot of people that want to talk about these topics. Yay. And Alfred is on the phone. Hey, Brother Alfred, how you doing, man? Good night to you. Boy. Hey, can y'all hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, brother. What's going on? Awesome, awesome. I finally got this thing to work. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if anybody's dealing with Windows 8, uh, I, I, my sympathies, because I just figured out 
how to get this to actually work with the uh, the Block Talk Radio in conjunction instead of having to go through. It's a nightmare, but yeah. It was, anyway, yeah, we uh, there's there's a lot uh, a lot to discuss, but I'm, Carl, I'm gonna go ahead and let you tackle it, man, because I know you really want to dig in on some of these uh, on some of these topics that don't have to oh, do man, with pop get... culture drama. Oh man, <laughs> right. awesome. All of the non-elevator-related stories that happened this week, and I think uh, take greater import. Um, of course, you know we're still trying to keep keep this at the forefront of people's thoughts. You know, we're still th- talking about the young girls that are missing in Nigeria, even though that may not be a topic of today's show. You know, we still want to keep people aware of it. You know, and you know, hashtag bring back our girls. You know, uh, I, I always want to keep that as a priority to show that we still care and hope that those young ladies are returned to their families soon. Getting into what we're talking to tonight, this has been what I think. You know, from last week, um, last weekend to this new weekend here, I, I think I think we took a, a, a progressive step forward as a culture and as a country. Um, And it came from the strangest places in professional sports, a place not exactly known for progressive behavior. Um, You know, as you know, uh, Michael Sam, an openly gay defensive end from uh, Missouri, uh, was drafted by the St. Louis Rams. And, you know, this prompted, uh, you know, uh, when he found out that he was drafted by the Rams, you know, he kissed his boyfriend on live television um, during draft day on ESPN, um, it was a pretty big deal. Um, if you're a progressive-minded person, it was a good thing, you know, across the board. It was a good thing, and it shows that we're growing up just a little bit. And I hoped that that would remain the same and remain the way it was. But it didn't take long before, um, you know, I, I guess to show you that as far as we've come, we still have so much further to go because almost immediately in a league that tolerates uh, rapists, sexual abusers, guys who steal crab legs for no apparent reason, uh, alleged rapists, uh, murderers, uh, the sight of a man kissing another man um, seemed Mm -hmm. to turn the world on its hair. And then everybody started Mm -hmm. thinking about what will we do about the children because they saw this happen. Um, I kind of expected it. But it's kind of sad. Um, as it pertains to today's show, we started seeing things. I opened up the discussion on my Facebook page, I think, the day after, um, you know, uh, Michael Sam getting drafted. I opened it up to, to discussion. And, you know, I noted the parallels between the gay rights, the struggle for gay rights in America, to the struggle for black rights in America. And that became a point of contention among, um, you know, among black people, saying, yeah, it's not fair to compare the two because it's not the same thing. And to this day, and I'll turn it over to my colleagues that are better on the thing, to this day I don't understand that. I don't really understand the concept of saying that a struggle for human rights or a struggle for civil rights isn't, this, isn't equal in any way. You know, granted, the details may be different, um, but at the same time, it's a struggle for equality. It's a struggle for civil rights. It's a struggle for human rights. So I'm not sure why some black people, because I, I really want to stress the point that homophobia is not exclusive to the black community in any way, shape, or form, nor is it exclusive to the black church. Um, 
it just confounds me more than I would assume, you know, homophobia in the white community. I, I don't really, I'm not part of that community, so I can't really speak on it, but it confounds me as a community that is well aware of what it's like to be discriminated against or to be the object of people's derision, um, that they would be so intent and intense about setting this distinction between one, you know, it, it's, it's all the same. To me, the parallels are there, and there's something very strong in common, but somehow, you know, it turns into a very serious point of contention. So I'll open up the conversation to my colleagues, and, you know, um, and, and we'll go from there. Uh, I've actually uh, I've actually heard this sentiment or some somewhat similar sentiment that the struggle that homosexuals have cannot be uh, conflated with civil rights movement uh, during the uh, 60s and whatnot. And to some degree, I understand uh, what a buddy of mine was making. When the point that he was making is that he did not want uh, people to assume that they're being beaten in the streets and that the physical threat was the same. And uh, that's when our conversation uh, turned, uh, I guess, a bit for the better. Um, so that he, the point that he, I think that he was trying to make, because this, this is not a dumb guy this is by, by any means. This is one of the few people, especially that I know, uh, you know, in the black community, that he is a very, you know, progressive thinker. And he is a, a very, um, how can I put this, very boisterous type of person. So he, there's nothing that he's going to hide or, or sugarcoat. So when he's saying something like this, I'm paying attention, but I'm, just, I'm surprised at the same time to hear that. So I said, okay, I know I understand they're, they're not necessarily uh, being beaten and, I, I guess, uh, and accosted as much as black people, you know, back in the day. But he, as, what the one thing that I wanted to convey to him is that they are being beaten. They are being killed. They're being ostracized. They are, there is a physical threat out there. It may not be uh, pasted in every movie during a certain time era or displayed during a certain time era, but there is a threat of physical violence. Um, this, this notion that their struggle is not our struggle or our struggle is greater than their struggle. I've seen this when uh, people bring up other minorities like Native Americans who almost had their entire ethnic group cleansed from history and cleansed from this continent. I mean, that was a very legitimate fear for them. And many of them now cannot even reproduce with their own people because their gene pool is so small. So when we try to understand and empathize with other cultures, I, I don't see that happening. And I, I find it very hypocritical for black people to say in any respect in, in America that, okay, well, your struggle is not legitimate. Because then what, how does that make us look when we look for or look toward non-minorities and, and expect them to understand our plight when we don't understand another minority's plight? We're just repeating this cycle of ignorance and hate. So that uh, coupled with this, this idea of the black monolith, that makes all of us appear ignorant and hypocritical. So that's, that's just my uh, limited take on it. Mm-hmm. All right. So what I have to say about that is, you know, I have heard a lot of different arguments regarding um, the gay movement being called a civil rights movement. 
Now, you know, I've heard arguments pro and con, and what I will say is that with the gay movement, they are trying to attain certain civil rights that are available to heterosexual couples. So they just want an equal and level playing field, which is what we wanted during the civil rights movement. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky because, you know, I'm going to talk about a few issues in this one statement here, but there are quite a few black members of the LGBTQ community that basically want to bring some issues to the forefront because I've been attacked by white, you know, LGBTQ members talking about the black community being extremely homophobic and that we were um, to blame for Proposition 8 when that is not even true. You would have to go back and look at the statistics and the information, you know, the number of registered voters, black registered voters in California is one digit percentage-wise. So it's not even a 10%, it's less than 10%. That would not have made a difference pro, you know, either way. However, they decided to go to the group that had less of a voice, the weaker group, if you would, because they should have been talking to the Mormon church that contributed quite a bit of money. That's who they should have been aiming their derision toward. However, I can understand how some people in the black community have a problem with the LGBTQ movement identifying itself as a civil rights movement. The reason for that is because the history is out there, but a lot of people don't know the history. Now, the gay movement, the gay, you know, um, what's happening now with the gay community, what you see now, you see white men and women primarily. That's the face of the gay movement. But if you go back and you look at the history, what happened in New York City was Stonewall. Those were trans people who fought the police, and they were black and Latino, primarily Puerto Rican, um, trans people that fought the police. So what happened was when they decided to move forward and fight for their rights, basically to make it more palatable to the mainstream, you know, the white activists push themselves in front and put the people of color in the background. So where some of the concern comes in from the civil rights community regarding, you know, the gay community, they do not want the message of the civil rights movement usurped and sanitized. This is some people, I'm not saying all, but some people, because what happens is in a lot of these cases when we have these movements, um, and even though it may be started by people of color, there are some white people that come in and try to take it over, and then it whitewashes the whole movement. So I can understand some of the caveat behind some of the people that don't want the gay movement to call themselves the civil rights movement, because at the end of the day, then it's going to look like, you know, it, it was a white movement to begin with. So we have to be very careful with that, but I understand, you know, um, with some of us, we have major concerns with, you know, some of the issues, some of the, you know, hostility that is being shown by the black community, primarily the black religious community. And this is not everybody. This is just a few squeaky, you know, wheels there that basically are, are out here and being vocal about not wanting gays to have equal rights. And, see, and this is where they miss. Basically, when black people were seen as chattel, 
as three-fifths of a person, when you see another human being and you see them as an animal, it makes you feel as though you can treat them any kind of way. And some of the rhetoric that I've heard coming from some of these religious leaders that oppose the LGBTQ community, you'll hear them call them animals. And so this is how they can justify treating these people as less than. So we have to be very careful with these things, but I also believe that we need to put it in the proper historical context to understand what's happening. So, you know, they are trying to get their civil rights in one respect, but no, they should not necessarily call themselves the new civil rights movement because history has shown us, and this is honest to goodness truth, this happened with the feminist movement as well, because some of the original feminists were black women. And during the, the second wave of the feminist movement, look up a young lady by the name of Florence Kennedy. And she was in the forefront of the feminist movement, up there with Gloria Steinem, Jane Fonda, and the rest of the crew. And she decided to take on a couple of cases, you know, legal cases, and they weren't happy because one of those cases was Mumia Abu-Jamal. And so they had a problem with that, and so they whitewashed her, factored her right out of it. So... You know, in some cases when we're part of these movements, once, you know, some of these white people get what they want, they throw us under the bus. So we have to be very careful with this. And I didn't mean to be long-winded. Sorry, guys. No, no, no. Hey, we're all on the same show, so that's great. And, um, and no, no, and you're probably the first person that has ever put it in that perspective and has done so just diplomatically, the first one I've ever heard, which puts you, I guess, a step above most of the, the, the representative of the, of, of, of the people who say they don't want to be associated with it. Those are very logical reasons um, as to why somebody would say, well, hey, I don't want you to compare this to the experience of the civil, or I don't want you to associate it with the experience um, black folks endured during the civil rights movement. And, that, and, and in that respect, it's completely understandable. Unfortunately, um, I, I, I don't think, I, I, I'm not led to believe that enough people are disagreeing with it on those terms. Um, most of the time, uh, or uh, just this morning, I had the argument that if, they, if a gay person didn't say anything, um, nobody could persecute them, which on its face it would make sense, but then you would think about it, that means that person has to live their entire life repressing whatever they are. They can't express themselves or they face some cert, some kind of persecution. Um, I'm of the school where I, re- I, I, I tend to reject any, any kind of differentiation of human rights outright. I tend to re- I, I, I reject it outright. Anytime they make the argument, anytime someone makes the argument to try and separate I mean I understand to an extent and I, and I, I, I respect that. I respect right. that, hey, I don't want this to be appropriated. But when they make the, um, nine times out of ten, you're speaking to somebody that considers homosexuality, considers members of the LGBTQ community as they'll say the word abomination. And right. for some reason, it, 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 there's not a lot of critical thinking involved. Um, you know, there's not a lot of critical thinking and that when these discussions are had, um, there's a lot of just knee-jerk reactions. Well, they're not like us. They didn't experience what they did. Well, if you're a person who tends to know that gay people have been around pretty much since the sun was alive and they're humans that walked upright, 
they've been around, then you have to factor in the argument that they're not like us or they didn't experience what we experienced only holds water if you believe that, that you know, only or the only gay people that ever existed are white or non-black. Because if they right. are black, that means at some point they were part of the, uh, you know, they were part of the uh, part of the black of the black culture. So that means they experienced slavery in some way or another. So then, not every not every you assume either all gay people are not black, and then all black people are straight. And those are two lines, right. those are two just those are two silly ways of thinking. There were gay people back then, and then also. There, there are people who are fighting a battle for equality in the black community. It's being fought on two fronts. They're being, they're and fighting to a maintain their identity and dignity and gain respect as black people. But then they're also, and that's that's enough having to deal with outside forces dealing you, dealing with you and treating you like the other. But then once you step away from that world, once you say, well, I don't got to deal with those guys on a daily basis, and then you retreat to your own community. Then to have your 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 community treat you as an outsider, um, exactly. yeah, that that's taxing. That that to disregard that is wrong. So when we're talking about somebody like Michael Sam, he's got two battles to fight. He's going into work, and then he, as a black man, he'll have to face off with people like um, you know, like Donald Sterling or Richie Incognito, giving him grief right. because of the color of his skin. And if he doesn't have to deal with those idiots, then he's got to deal with the assholes like the guy from the Dolphins who thinks that it's, a, you know, he can deal with the guys being racist, but the gay dude who loves his boyfriend, that's that's a little too beyond the pale. You know, adultery, slapping your girlfriend around, you know, the guy from FSU stealing crab legs, and he, you don't hear a peep out of him. But the guy who happens to kiss his boyfriend, that's a big deal, and he has to deal with it. He has to tweet that. You know, so exactly. there's two battles being fought. And then third, and this irritates me the most, this this is my big irritation, it's that um, when a black person or any any member of the black community, the black religious community or whatever have you, says these things, it shows an ignorance of history. It shows a very deep ignorance of history because some of the most prominent people and the prominent members of the civil rights movement, whether it be in the arts or politics or any kind of progressive step that we've taken, it was somebody who was not a straight person. Or, at the very least, if they were not, if they were not a gay person, they were bisexual or very ambiguous sexually. So it's, a, it's very disrespectful to say, well, their struggle is not our struggle. Why? That gay black person made your struggle their struggle. I mean, that's not fair. That means you're disrespecting people like Moms Mabley, Bayard Rustin, James Baldwin, Alice Walker, Josephine Baker. I mean, I mean, Josephine Baker was so much right. The list goes on and on and on. These are people who took definitive stands. So if you could say, and they are well aware of it. They knew you know, even more so than today where there seems to be a level of tolerance growing for gay people in this community, they took that extra stand. It was bad enough that you could get killed for trying to have lunch at a counter for being black. 
But then they did so saying, hey, guess what? I'm black and gay. Now what are you going to do? So you're going to disrespect exactly. their contribution to the cause of, 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 of equal rights, the cause of civil rights, the cause of, 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 of human rights? That's disrespect beyond the pale. And, and unfortunately, and, and I'm saying, if you're not willing to make those sacrifices that they made, you really don't have any place having, you, you have no place in this conversation as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's, it's just a level of disrespect. And then for me personally, as a person that's a member of, 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 of this community, as a member of this culture, um, we know what it's like to live every day hated. We know what it's like to walk out of our doors and have people think that people are mad at us just because we woke up this morning. And that's right. all there is to it. And if that's the case, if we know what that's like, just and, and all we want to do, all I want to do, and I'm sure all you and Alfred want to do is just go do our honest day's work, come home to the families that love us and live a happy life, you know, why would we even try to seek a way to not associate with other people who want the same thing? Right. You know, that's... That's my. It's 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 more than just. It's to me the, the struggle for civil rights isn't a black struggle. It's a human rights struggle. We exactly. are connected by. It. I'll I'll grant I'll grant the argument to an extent. Like yes, it's not ours, and yes, the details are quite clear. I get that. But then at the end of all of it, it's a struggle for human rights. We should be at the forefront of every single one of these battles because we more than anyone else more than anyone else, know what it's like. We know what it's like to be the other, to be the alien, to be hated, hated more than all, you know? That, when, when people think of bad shit in this world, somehow they attack it to our face, <laughs> you know? So right. I, I really don't right. understand that as a concept. I don't understand the reactions to this young man um, being this way by our community. Both sexual and Oh, yeah, now I'm just going to say, and I was glad that you brought up otherisms, if you will, because, um, you know, again, you know, putting all of this in context, when he goes to work, his job, you have all, all of that bravado, all that machismo, that is what's happening in that locker room. This is how they psych themselves up to play that game, you know, um, and he has to deal with a lot of... Other people in their ignorance, whereas, you know, there are some people that feel that men that are members of the LGBTQ community aren't quite men, you know, and of course we totally disagree because, you know, a man is a man is a man, you know, but there are some that have that mindset. And so he's going to have to deal with that pressure going into that locker room and, you know, you know, they all shower together, they walk around, you know, in the bus together and, you know, but I believe that he's going to have allies, you know, in his corner, you know, as far as on the team is concerned. But he has to deal with that. And like you said, he has to deal with the races that are coming at him from left field, white races as well as black bigots, the ones that are anti-LGBTQ, and including probably some members of his own family. So he's getting it from everywhere. And that's why, you know, um, 
when I, you know, deal with certain people, and like I had stated earlier, you know, I had been attacked by some white LGBTQ activists that had no idea that I was a member of the LGBTQ community, but all they wanted to do was attack and talk about how the black community is so homophobic. But, you know, that's, you know, um, a deflection, a detraction, because what they don't want to talk about is the racism in the LGBTQ community. So as long as they keep the focus on one thing, you know, they won't, people won't focus on the other issues there. But that young man, not only him, but, you know, he wasn't the only one that came out. Um, We still had, um, what's his name, Derek Gordon and Jason Collins. So they're dealing with a lot of pressure. They're dealing with a lot of pressure. And, yes, we should be the first ones out there congratulating them. We should be the first ones to put on our marching boots and go marching with them because we, of all people, should know what it feels like to be continuously marginalized. Right, absolutely. So, and it, uh, and I'll go ahead. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, shoot. Uh, it, it was something that I was just uh, thinking about. A lot of people like to assume that every black person uh, defers to civil rights and defers to Martin Luther King as you know our, our hero and savior, and you know it's taboo to speak you know ill of him in any way, shape, or form, but I, for one, have to stand out and and try and, and break that mold, uh, whether it's true or not. Because this, like, no, I I really do appreciate all that he did uh, for you know my ancestors, and I really can't say ancestors; it hasn't been that long. Wow, uh, for my uh, the progenitors of of my parents, <laughs> but uh, I'll, we'll say that. So. But one thing that I really, really dislike is that the so much focus that he put on uh, on them being almost helpless without this deity is is what's really crippling us, and that's that, that's that's the fallout now. We're we're experiencing that fallout from that religious indoctrination. There's no way possible that they could have gotten through such an, a, a traumatic ordeal. It had to be from the same deity that coming from the same people who are oppressing you. I mean, it's it, it, that that irony never escapes me, but the fact that now we're, we're assimilating into American culture to the point of we're now propagating the same type of discrimination that we have traditionally faced. So that is really indicative of that indoctrination and, and how, uh, man, how paradoxical it is. Because you you would think after going through something like that, you wouldn't want to do that to anyone else. You wouldn't want to prevent anyone else from having to go through that, being a sympathetic a, a humanist or uh, just having any type of uh, a notion behind what really happened and a, a, a grasp and a firm understanding of oppression, of subjugation, of any type of philosophical or religious belief that would cause you to put your throat or put your foot on the throat of another human being, uh, you know, the, the, not not literally. Well, in some cases, literally, but in many right. cases, figuratively. So right. that that's where I have to constantly remind folks is that that's this this is not natural. Homophobia is not natural. A natural argument. It's not natural at all, whatsoever. 
There's only one source of homophobia and one species that, that projects that, and that's, that's us as humans. We decide that because we yeah. choose to harbor these religious beliefs that just plainly state, well, you know, it's not cool. You know, a uh, big man in the sky with the beard didn't like it. No rhyme or reason, just he didn't like it. So to hear people use any uh, religious belief, is, it seems to me is that that's a cop-out and that their only other uh, recourse is to offer uh, sex acts because they find their, their, their acts in the bedroom to be disgusting, even though um, most married couples you would meet, you probably would be disgusted if you really knew what went behind their doors. But, you know, that's another story. <laughs> Topic for next week's show, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and. There and no, there is the added irony, and it actually moves us into the next uh, next part of the discussion that that, that that we're having about you know, um, you know Mr. Michael Sam. But I, yeah, and it's funny you do bring that up, Alfred, and I want to make a point about that, which is an ironic point to me. You know, people oh be fruitful and multiply. If you're talking to the church, if be fruitful and multiply. A man has to be married, and a man has to be with a woman, and all that stuff. And I'm saying, and it's funny to me. It's ironic to me. Um, that they're doing it in the name of a being who they believe is a single father living with his grown son and a male manifestation of his own spirit and a whole bunch of uh, shave clean, blonde-haired, you know, muscular angels. And if that guy, an old, you know, an old, good-looking man was surrounded by a whole bunch of blonde, tan angels... That sounds like South Beach to me. I don't really know if that's heaven. That sounds like South Beach, guys. I live in Miami, so, yeah, you drive over there, you see a whole bunch of old dudes trying to surround themselves with tan, blonde-haired guys. I, <laughs> that's just being realistic. Oh, boy. How, how, how Christians never notice the irony of the statement, you know, that there's no women in heaven, apparently. You know, I, if you read the Bible... No one's ever been visited by a female angel. It's all been male, and they all had, and they say they're up there by the thousands and hosts of hosts. So how knowing, I mean, how that that ironic thing has escaped people for this long, it's a mystery to me because it really they, just they don't want to like look at it. You know, you know, heaven is Gianni Versace's house for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah. hey, whatever. Even that thought doesn't ever occur to them either. Eve was never part of the original plan, but. You know, like yeah, yeah that, that's a story for another another show. But you know, that's right. too much taken outside the box. But you know, you know, it does bring us to the other part of the discussion. You know, we, we were talking about it over email this last week, um, Alfred, Kim, and I, and we were talking about um, this poster that's gone up. It was actually about Jason Collins, but it, it went up, and it, you've seen it come up again in regards to uh, Michael Sam and um, his revel- his proclamation of his sexuality. Um, you now are hearing it again. Well, everyone wants to talk about Michael Sam and his his you know revelation that he was gay. But when Tim Tebow did it, nobody wanted to listen to him. Which is the, which is a the biggest lie that I've ever heard anyone tell in recent memory. You know, short of how we got into the Iraq War, that's probably the biggest lie that I've heard recently. Because when Tim Tebow came out, the whole I'm a virgin thing and I'm a Christian thing, people took that stuff and ran with it. Instead of asking why he only refers to wildcat offense, 
No, they didn't want to talk about that. They wanted to talk about he's a good Christian boy with good Christian values, raised in the Bible Belt, drinks his milk and loves his mama, and he, he, he pets small kittens and rescues babies from firehouses. He does it, and, and that's all they did talk about. Matter of fact, that's all they would talk about. When he was walking on the field and he threw the, he would pass the football so terribly that the ball would actually flip end over end, which is terrible for a quarterback. <laughs> You would have, you would have, the announcer say, "Well, he's such a good guy. He puts his heart into everything he does. He's such a team player, and he loves his guys. He loves it, and he does this, and he loves them, and he loves things, and he loves chickens, and, and rainbows, and sprinkly unicorns, and, and America, and the bald eagle, and apple pie." They would talk about everything other than the fact that this guy is really not a good quarterback. He'd probably be better at the fullback position or something like that. But no, they would talk. So where this came from that no one wanted to hear about Tim people is ridiculous. And to, 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 com, to, to compare and contrast, you know, mm-hmm. him with at the time Jason Collins, but now Michael Sam, again, it takes a staggering amount of ignorance to make that argument. Because here's the thing, in the United States now, in the United States, the population of people who will answer to the name Christian is about 77 to 80%, you know, across, you know, and that's mostly Protestant. So Tim Tebow is a straight white male in America in a country that's about 77% Christian, you know, non-Protestant Christian. And right. so why, is, why would his... Why would his proclamation be profound in any way? That's like saying in this country, especially where he lives in Florida, which is regarded as part of the Bible Belt, him saying that, walking out and saying, I'm a Christian, is kind of like me walking outside and saying, food tastes good. It's a revelation that right. anyone, anyone can take, you know, anyone can take from that thing. Anyone can, you know... And no one, and in recent memory, as far as I know, no one's trying to kill Christians. Not on purpose. I don't think anyone's walking around trying to murder. No one's trying to murder Christians. No one. Exactly. No, I I was going to say, I thought the comment that you made earlier was interesting about how he should not have been a quarterback. He should have been a fullback or some other position. What's interesting is, you know, the way that you describe that scenario, whereas the announcers would say, well, he's a good guy and he means well and he tries really hard. He has heart. All this does is remind me of corporate America. And I know people get tired of me talking about this, but in some corporate America scenarios, you will have someone of that particular hue that doesn't know what they're doing, has no experience, but yet get the job, get on-the-job training, and they're still not very good at it, so they get promoted up and out the way. And, and the people that are left to do the grunt work, if you will, are the people that are of color. But, you know, what's interesting there is that he's not a very good quarterback. And we've had some phenomenal black quarterbacks over the years, and they were trashed every which way coming and going. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, and, again, it's okay. You're a Christian, but it's not a big deal. And, and what, again, 
it, there's nothing to be gained or lost by making that, making that proclamation. If somebody comes out and says, yes, I mean, says, yeah, I'm gay, and they say that, they're risking loss of jobs. Clearly, you won't be able to have a regular relationship because they want you to get married, and then you can't have insurance. Things happen. You can't do anything because it's not recognized in certain states. There are things that can happen. People can commit violence towards you based on the proclamation you made. And unless you're in, I guess, the Coliseum and someone has a lion waiting, saying you're a Christian nowadays doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't, pretty much every other person is a Christian. Heck, I was a Christian for most of my life, so it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, good for you. I mean, saying you're a Christian in Iran is a big deal. You know, saying you're a Christian in Darfur is a big deal. Or if you were in Somalia, that would be a profound statement because that's pretty much the worst place that you could say those things and get away with it. You know, if you survive, good for you. That's a big deal. I mean, I commend, I mean, I, I don't think anyone actually should. I mean, if you're there, you should try to get the hell out of there as quickly as possible. But if you find yourself stuck in Iran and you choose to be a Christian and then you want to share that information, hey, more power to you. I commend your bravery. But it's America. Who's not a Christian? Other than us few humanists and free thinkers and secularists out there, probably small percentages of growing religions or growing non-believers, um, you guys pretty much run the show. You know, so there's this weird... And, and, and it falls into this weird line of thinking with the folks that I'm proud to be straight. Why? Is somebody trying to kill you for not being straight? I mean... Right. I mean, oh, <laughs> man. Not, not, the, not the reactionary, oh, man, we need White History Month. Oh, you know, oh, we need straight, <laughs> straight Pride Month. I was like... Okay, I have to explain this to people since they seem to think that people are just being randomly chosen. It's like I call it the flavor of the month. It's random people are just chosen, and the media just uh, goes on this tirade trying to uh, promote them just for kudos because they think the public will just respond to them uh, when they when they pick whatever demographic out of a hat. So. No, it, it, there's been one demographic that has not been oppressed in this country. Those white male. Christian, Protestant particular, hetero. Land, hetero landowner. And well, now we get to say wealthy uh, to, to include that. So that demographic has not been touched. And any, uh, specifically, those particular, uh, I guess, sections would actually enable somebody to somewhat assimilate better into mainstream society. Now we're seeing a difference in that now because everyone on the outside of that has been actively oppressed and actively subjugated and actively marginalized. But now that they're actually getting attention, oh no, wait, wait, we can't have this shit. That's breaking the status quo. We have to stop that. I need to feel comfortable again in my own skin because now they're legitimizing other people who are not among my demographic. I am not. I am no longer receiving that type of attention, and I am no longer uh, precluded from some of these uh, marginalizations that happen. Mm-hmm. And I fear right. now that everybody outside that demographic will do to me what I did to them. So exactly. that that fear of having that reciprocated. That's where it's coming from because it makes no logical sense for me to say as a male, well, you know, my wife gets uh, 
three I saw this actually today. Uh, my wife gets three three days now a year if because she has uh, extreme menstrual cramps, like debilitating it. There's an actual uh, I think it's oh, called yeah. PMDS. Yeah, I, I think that's what it's called. But PMSD. Debilitating. It's PMSD. Go ahead. PMSD. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I got it. I got it mixed up. PMSD, <laughs> and that's debilitating. <laughs> I, I know one female with that, and she can't move because it's like giving birth almost. So you can't stand up and walk around while you're get, right, having contractions. So I, I don't have that type of equipment. I don't. I'm no, I don't. Ha- There's a whole myriad of medical issues and ailments that I am precluded from because I don't have any anything down there of that nature. So why would I ask for those three sick days just because somebody else has it? Why am I? Why is that? Why do I feel threatened by that? I, I don't. Right. You know, but some people and then, do. And then here's the other thing about that: when you compare, you know, Jason Collins, Michael Sam. To 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 or, or you know even earlier Esra Tupelo or Derek Gordon any of these guys when you compare their story to Tim Tebow first of all Tim Tebow it's like I'm a white heterosexual male born to a fairly okay family and now I'm getting paid millions of dollars to need to do a mediocre job that's pretty much God mode in this country. If it was a video game, he'd have all the weapons. You know what I'm saying? He'd have, it, it's God mode. That's, that's pretty much what Tim G. Boy is. Who wants to hear that story? I'm a straight, white, Christian male, and paid, paid to do a job. Yeah, I get paid more to do a job than women, and people of color get paid far less to do at a higher level than I'm doing. Who wants exactly. to hear that story? Who wants the answer? Or would you want to hear the story of I'm a young person of color who, through my talents, struggled my way up to college and struggled my way into, you know, the top of my sport, and now I'm getting drafted into a team or something like that. I'm getting drafted into a major league team. Oh, and, yeah, I'm gay. That's a much more interesting story. This country is full of white. You know what I'm saying? This guy, I mean, let's just say, let's just take, either way, just take the homosexuality out of it. Just go ahead. Just two people of color versus this guy. Right. People of color and, and versus this guy. Just, I'm the white guy. The yeah, they want to maintain the status. They want to maintain the status quo because you have all these other groups, you know, with these other interesting backgrounds and interesting stories, you're taking away that privilege, you know, you know, taking away that privilege from that individual. And because, you know, um, white, hetero, male landowners, cisgendered, if you will, you know, they were accommodated to, they were pandered to, they had the privilege. And whenever someone comes and wants equal rights, even when it was white women, you know, they fought against that. And it's just, that's why we're telling people you have to look at this. This issue is bigger than most people realize, and all of these oppressions are interconnected one way or another. I mean, here's the thing. In a nation full of underdogs, okay, and, and we're taking this as, you know, this the, the, the person of color and the person of color who is homosexual. In a nation that prides themselves on cheering the underdog. Why would you want to hear the story of a guy that was born on third base and acts like he hit a triple? Why would right. you want to hear that guy's story? 
Well, I'm a Christian, and I'm also white, I'm also male, I'm also straight, and I've got money. That's like turning on Fox News every day. That's full, That's all that happens. That's the pretty much the story of America that America likes to show the rest of the world. It's a bunch of guys that were born on third base but want to act like they hit a triple. Life hasn't hit right. them in any real way. Exactly. And conversely, you have guys like Jason Collins that who, if they weren't, Black, they're getting it for a whole completely different. They're getting it for two different reasons. They were black, they were poor, they were middle class, lower middle class, dot, 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 and they also happen to be gay. So, yes, that's a much more entire, that's much more thrilling story. That's a much more interesting story to be told. So, I, I'm at a loss as to why folks think that this guy's story just because of his faith, which he hasn't really exhibited, he just says things. You know, and me personally, being a virgin is probably the most inter- most uninteresting thing that I have ever heard in my life. It's kind of like, eh, I have a superfluous third nipple. Well, good for you. <laughs> okay, you're a virgin. So what? Everybody was at one point, and nine times out of ten, if you ask a person, they probably find that the most boring time in their life. Like, yeah, I'm a virgin. Well, good for you. I have a superfluous third nipple and maybe an extra toe. Good for you. I mean, it's not anything to, <laughs> it's not something to be bragged about. It's just a state of being. It's like, all right, I'm a virgin. I'm not. But there's this weird thing that we put around. I couldn't wait to get rid of it. I don't know about anybody else. I can, That's one title that I'm glad I don't have anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, hey, I'm a virgin. Yeah, I'm a virgin. I had strep throat once. You want a cookie? I mean, what's the big deal? I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And especially when you put it in this context, I don't. I don't get why, in a country where it's pretty normal to be a Christian, um, that that they feel that you have to talk more about it. It's this weird choir that feels they need to be preached to. And um, oh, and, and to mm-hmm. now I'm just going to say it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. It's, this, it's the image, public relations, something that allows him to stand out. You know, it's a brand. Tim Tebow is a brand. And by doing that and getting the recognition and getting the admiration and, you know, the honor and the privilege, if you will, that that enables him to increase his stock value. Now, he may not receive much more money from these teams because he's a mediocre, if that, player, However, you know, his endorsement on, you know, whether it's one of those, um, you know, power, you know, electrolyte drinks or one of those, you know, he's selling some Cheerios or whatever, that gives his stock more value because he stands out and more people will appeal to him. So whoever his publicist is, they did a damn good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- and so you know, and, and and that's just it to me. I I never I don't I don't get why people who are already Christian or who are already people of quote unquote faith need to hear more about that from somebody who is already a part of them in some way, shape, or form. Um, but I'm going to move on to another part of this thing, and so we can move on to another topic as well. So it's just been revealed that um, Oprah Winfrey intends to produce a reality. Well, it's to me, it sounds like a documentary, but they said reality show. 
in regards to uh, Michael Sam's life. And I read the article today. Um, it's been passing around social media. It's on Facebook now. And I believe the reaction to it has been, um, see, I told you it was calculated. I knew it was a setup. I knew it was a whole big setup. They're just trying to make a big show about it, them coming out of the closet, which is kind of like saying, yeah, I knew that he, all the way back when he first realized that he was sexually attracted to other men, decided that I'm going to become a football player to – it's kind of like listening to the people talking about Obama and his conspiracy theories. I mean, it's one thing right. I have a problem with him, but to think that from the age of six he was part of this cold, calculated plan to take over America <laughs> as the Muslim, Kenyan, fascist, socialist, communist fascist, you know, which really doesn't make sense, but they say that. have so to. Yeah, it's like, really? Do you... It's a cold, it's propaganda. It's part of the gay agenda, which means ever since he realized he was sexually attracted to me, it was all a part of his gay plan to gay up America. You know what I'm saying? I love hearing that, though. Don't, I mean, really, don't you love hearing when people say stuff like that and you kind of, you kind of uh, try to coax them into saying it more and seeing, like, you really have a lot of homophobia going on. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not scared of him. No, I said, no, well, homophobia means it's a fear as well as aversion. So let's, let's get the definition right. You do have an aversion to them, but why would somebody else's relationship be so threatening to you? Are you afraid you might be attracted to them or something? Oh, no, no, of course not. Okay, so you wouldn't mind going up and giving them a hug or anything, huh? Oh, hell no. Okay, that, yeah, I thought so. So it's, it's, will you, I've yet to see any type of legitimate argument. It's always religious or it always has to do with some type of fear-mongering or an illogical fear-mongering, too, at that, that they need to propagate this type of mentality. It's not, you know, anything like, oh, well, you know, they um, are posing a threat because they are trying to uh, push legislation to stop straight marriage or nothing, you know, nothing legitimate. It's always fear-mongering, doomsday type of uh, scenarios where they're recruiting as well and they're going to make right. gay cool and guys are automatically going to want to start having sex with men because somebody else is doing it. But, it, I, like I said, nothing ever logical or even remotely close to probable. I mean, well, let's just, I mean let's be fair and honest. If, you, if, you, if there is a conspiracy to turn people gay... You could do a lot worse than Michael Sam. Let's just be real and honest. It could be Eddie Griffin. And really, would you want him turning you gay? <laughs> you know, Eddie Griffin, a comedian. I'm saying, let's be real and honest. If there was a conspiracy, you could you could you could do a lot worse than Michael Sam. The kid looks nice. He's a handsome guy. I'm saying, if he's gonna turn you out, let's 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 go with that guy first. I, I'm just saying, if we had to. I mean, if, if if there's a gay conspiracy, wouldn't you hope that it's Angelina Jolie or Kerry Washington that shows up to turn you into a lesbian? I'm just saying. I mean, I'm going to be fair and honest. <laughs> so, that's what they, if I have to think, if, if there's a gay agenda and there are gay people walking around trying to gay other people up, then let me be honest. Eh, you can do a lot worse than that. And Brad Pitt, I'll have to think about it. I'm going to be fair and honest. If Idris Elba knocks on the door, we'll think about it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Might be some fringe benefits in here. <laughs> oh, hold on. 
I'm a fan of Luther guy, but I'm just saying. These are Alex. Idris Elba, whatever it is, now, yeah, now that's that's a good looking. You know, he may make me go straight. Um, but it is her um, guest number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, that's three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. And if you want to speak with us, you have to press one. You only press it once. You press it twice, you come out of the queue because we have someone that's listening and they had raised their hand and then they unraised it. So I'm letting them know that's why we haven't picked up. So you got to press one again if you want to talk to us. But go ahead. And, and, and here's the thing um, also. So what if he got a reality show? The Kardashians have a reality show. Why is that a problem? And Lamar Odom was on it. I mean, we have athletes making reality shows, doing all kinds of nonsense. I mean, we couldn't get rid of Terrell Owens, uh, Terrell um, um, Owens, or what's the other dude's name? And I try to forget it as much as I can. Chad Chad Ocho Cinco. They had reality shows. Oh I mean, yeah. I mean. Athletes have athletes get reality shows. They have documentaries about them. I mean, why can't this young man be able to 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 to, to have an insight into his life? Make because a little he doesn't that. he he doesn't represent the Judeo Christian uh, theme. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. these two guys. I forget uh, these two twin business owners. They got their show canceled because uh, they were uh, like vehemently. Anti-gay. I mean, going protests and donating to hate groups, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like, you know, right. just horrible. Right. And they yeah. supposedly had some kind of, well, I don't know if it was a cooking show or a real estate show that they were supposed to have. Show. It was real estate? Yeah, it was, it was, I know it was uh, one of them. And they got it canceled because the producers didn't do their homework and at the last minute found out that these guys are very anti-gay. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, you, know you, you, you turn... And you have, uh, you know, Christians in America who feel that, you know, dominionism is cool and that they own everything and theocracy is all right. And they see that and they take that as an infringement upon their rights where they will not look at any other type of demographic that has had that happen to them before at all. And my first, my initial thought is, how about you try being black and wanting the same type of rights as white people? Uh, you know, that's my first, my first initial thought. But then I have to try and say, okay, well, how can I make this relate uh, to whoever I'm talking to? Because I know this particular person will probably won't be as receptive uh, to something unless I can relate it directly to something in their life or something from their ethnic group or something specifically to them to make them have that warm and fuzzy, oh, man, this may affect me one day, you know, feeling. So it's sad that I have to go through all that and jump through that many mental hoops, but that's what it comes down to, this idea that, like I said, if you go outside that one demographic, that's when things start getting fuzzy. You start seeing people having rights and uh, having certain uh, standards they counter that of that particular paradigm. They feel mm-hmm. the grasp. They, they feel the, the the grip of that dominion slowly, slowly fading, and that fear starts to kick in. So that's what perpetuates. Uh, I don't know who came up with this term, but I wish I could credit them properly. But it's the uh, I call it the uh, uh, Christian victim complex, where. Uh. Yeah, any any time, I mean, and you and you laugh. You know what I'm talking about. 
and they'll always do this any time that they feel that their rights have been encroached upon, even though, ironically, they don't see that what they're doing is an encroachment of somebody else's life. They're impeding somebody else's happiness. They don't see that, but they see that their beliefs and their, uh, their dogma is, is, is correct, and it should be uh, impressed upon anyone and everyone. So exactly. you, 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 ex- you expose that, and like, oh, no, no, it's foretold in the Bible. You say, yeah, okay, thank you. That's all I need to hear. You know, th- that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't care what your magic book says. It, you know, have yeah. as many incantations as you want. I don't care. But the second yeah. that you say the magic book said that you're going to be oppressed, I'm going to tell you here's reality. You keep poking a bull in the eye. That bull is going to turn around and gore you to death. It's going to happen eventually. How about you stop pissing off people, and maybe this won't happen. Maybe if you treat people with dignity and stop ostracizing them, this won't happen. It's a cause and effect. There's, you, you know, you're perpetuating. It's a self-perpetuating prophecy. You are doing it to yourself. You are creating this yeah. scenario. No one's doing this to exactly. you. Exactly. Exactly. We have a call, you guys. We have a call. Let's let's take this call. Area code 912. May we ask who's calling? 912. What's up? What's up? This is uh, Reese from Georgia. Hey, Reese. How you doing, Reese? What's good? How you doing? Yeah, it's uh, good to hear some, uh, you know, some fellow black non-believers. <laughs> you know, especially being here in Georgia, you know, it's, it's few and far yeah. between. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we've we been around for a while, and, you know, if you check out the archives you have, we, we talk about everything. But do you want to talk about what we're talking about today? Well, um, you know, I'm not gay or anything, but, you know, the whole Michael Sam thing is I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely I'm definitely glad it's, it's uh, happening. You know, I get tired of arguing with black people about, you know, about the, what – what I definitely consider a civil rights issue with gay rights, you know, and they always want to say, well, it's not the same. And it's like, just because you say it's not the same doesn't mean it's not the same. Right. You know what I mean? It's about, you know, attaining certain civil liberties, um, you know, and, and Carl said earlier, and he hit it right on the head, it's about human rights, you know, having the right to be, you know, have the same rights as everyone else. You know, a gay couple, they should have the right to be able to marry, adopt, um, in all of those. And the only issue that I have, and this is just in general, any couple, whether they're hetero or gay, I feel that single people, we're getting, you know, the shaft. Because, you know, when you get married, there are a lot of tax incentives for being married, and single people do not get those same rights and those same incentives. So, I think we should have a singles people movement. Mm. I mean, well, but, you know, being single, we we also don't have to deal with the headaches of uh, the headaches of marriage in general. Well, I'm talking about, like, the tax incentives and, you know, tax breaks and things like that. So I'm saying that that should be afforded across the board, whether you're married or single. Um, you know, those types of, you know, um, policies should be geared all around to anybody and everybody. But um, regarding, you know, a lot of blacks not wanting to have the gay rights movement um, identify itself as being part of the civil rights struggle, again, you just have to break it down and, and help them to understand that 
they're the gay rights, you know, the gay community, the LGBTQ community, they're just trying to get the same rights that hetero couples, you know, enjoy. So because, yeah. you know, depending on where you go, you know, gay couples can't adopt children. They can't get married. They, you know, um, if their family comes in, one of the partners goes into the hospital, the family can basically rule out that the other partner can come and, and be there for their partner. So, you know, there are a lot of things that need to change. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I hate, you know what I'm saying, that people, you know, I've I've been on a, a couple more shows, and people think that, you know, the whole Michael Sam thing has just been, um, you know, thrown in their face, you know. And it's just like, I mean, you know, and, and I have to explain the way the NFL draft works. I'm just like, anybody that has a pretty big name, there's going to be a camera crew at their house, no matter who it was. You know, And I told him, I was like, Tebow also had a camera crew at his house when he was drafted. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And, I mean, uh, but of course, I mean, he didn't do anything gay, but, you know, he had a camera crew there. He could have got down and prayed. He probably did get down and pray, you know. But it's like they have an issue when things that go against their religion is thrown in their face, but they don't mind throwing their religion in your face. And you should just sit yeah. there and take it. Yeah, here's the thing. They, there's this thing that happened when you have Jason Collins, when you have a. They even they even did it with with top tier athletes like um, Brittany Grenier, you know, in the WNBA. She can right. dunk on people. That's how good she is as, a, as an athlete. Um, there's this concentrated effort to diminish their abilities. And accomplished. They just did. During the whole draft, if you hear anybody who wants a, some kind of armchair expert, they wanted to sit there and diminish Michael Sam's talent. They also wanted to, to diminish Jason Collins' talent as athlete. Let's put it like this. If they're there, if he got drafted, because it's like this, if they all, all the politics they want, he had to get through the NFL combine to, to, to even yeah. be considered for draft. So if he successfully... Um, maneuvered the, 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 the NFL combine, then he has every right to be chosen to go to the NFL. Same goes for anybody. Right. If his name came up in the draft, he deserves to be, he deserves a seat at the table. He might not get to sit at the front of the table, like, say, for instance, a Walter Payton or, or you know, William Refrigerator Perry or, or, or Dan Marino or Joe Namath. Yeah, okay, but he's done enough to get a seat at the table. Exactly. For Jason Collins getting into the NBA, you know, he didn't just—you don't just trip over things. I mean, he beat—he beat probably he's the fraction that a lot of coaches and a lot of people like to tell these up-and-coming athletes, like, "No, all of you aren't going to get into NBA." So clearly, they had the wherewithal to to beat those odds. They have the skill, you know. Cheryl Swoops had the skill to beat the odds that tell people that you may not get into the major leagues, but somehow they made it there. So there's the weird attempt to diminish their skill, to diminish what they've done, that's that soft bigotry. Like, I don't care that he's gay. I'm just talking about him as a player. No, you're not. No, you're not, because he hasn't played a game in that school yet. Yeah, I mean, he was was SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, All-American. So yeah. clearly you're not talking about him as a player. You're talking about him trying to diminish him to, to insinuate that his being gay somehow has an effect on his ability to play. 
he won't be tough enough. Because football's a tough, manly man sport. You need big I, man hands, I, man. You know, you know, you man need hands. man hands. Big man hands to hold a woman. I mean, you, you can't hold a football unless you can have big man hands to hold and, a woman. Everybody and, knows and, that. And you, and you can't cuff a guy's ass when you pat him on the ass after you score a touchdown. That you, that's what you need those manly man hands for. That and he doesn't have that apparently. That's that's what it is. No. I'm not tough like, so like the so, the biggest complaint that I've been hearing is that it's only black athletes that's that's coming out. That's not true. Hold up. Hold up. Yeah. <you know. laughs> oh no. Yes. Yeah. No. That's not true. You know, there are a lot of white athletes that have come out in the past that are coming out now. It's just, you know, the black athletes is. How can I put it? We'll just put it this way. Because they're black athletes, and like Carl was saying earlier, it's a more interesting story. You know, it'll sell more copies of that magazine. It'll get more hits on that clickbait, you know, with the um, strongly worded, you know, subject titles. You know, so that's that's basically what that is. But there are a lot of white athletes that have come out. I mean, we got Brian Botano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, it's, it's, it's like I try to tell them that. Well, I mean, for one, you know, black like blacks are disproportionately just more athletic, so there are there are going to be more black athletes to come out. And then for two, I say um, that they're coming out in what is considered a team sport. I mean, it's like I'm pretty sure there's been gay tennis players and all that kind of stuff that have came out, but tennis is a one-man sport, you know. It's, it's like you don't have to be around a whole bunch of other people to play tennis. No, that's a very accurate thing. Now, and, and, and you also have to consider as well that when you're talking about black people and sexuality, period, it becomes interesting because our sexuality is so undefined to the point where we're right. not sure how to define it. It has been defined for us. Either we're too conservative regarding it or we're hypersexual beasts. We're, we're in between the two extremes. I mean, right. Will and Jada Smith, they, they, made, they made small mentions to their sexual lives as husbands and wives, and everybody's trying to figure that out because we don't really... And, and then to top it off, we're trying as men as black men to figure out what manhood is because for the better half of a century somebody's been calling us boy. So exactly. all of these things are what, what it means to be a man, our, our sexuality, all of these things come into play, which is probably why you, you see uh, 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 people latching on more to sexuality when it, as it refers to black athletes, black female athletes coming out. Um, because they don't assume that we care or think about those things in that way. Or or there's the assumption that we're homophobes like crazy, which isn't true. Um, granted, there's enough to, 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 to give somebody pause and as a cause of concern, but um, because our, our thing hasn't been defined by us, and there's so many people who choose to define our sexuality for us, a, a black right. person coming out and, and, and making proclamations about their sexuality, it, it, it's going to be a big deal because 
folks just yeah. don't really know how to how to how to tell how to call it with us. Honestly. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, and on top of that, you know, it's all black people are Christians, you know. <laughs> you know, there you so go. it's like there you go. So, so like how are you coming out gay and you're a Christian? Mhm. That's the assumption. But yeah. because we have some we, we do have some other topics that we want to touch on, so I wanna make sure we didn't leave any of them out. We got two more things that we can I, I, Okay, we can roll on. Um there was uh, a discussion, and, and this is Kim's topic, and I'm just raising it so she can um, elaborate on it a little bit further. But, um, of course, we know about Donald Sterling and all of the uh, remarks that he made in his reporting with uh, B. Stiviano that caused him to be banned for life as owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. And for some strange reason, he was given yet another opportunity to put his foot in his mouth, and he decided to jam the whole thing in there with the discussion that he had. You know, he he said Michael G. Meyer, he talked about Magic Johnson not living up to people and how much he prayed for him when he caught the AIDS. I don't know if he said it, I did. Um, and a uh, situation in which, um, you know, he's not racist, but I'm not fond of black people. Or his, his statement. This is the one that stuck with everybody and became a, a cause of conversation was that, you know, I do things for my community, and when you look at the Jewish community, we do things that we get together and we come together, but African Americans, they don't really do anything. So I want to turn that over to Kim so she can um, elaborate further. This is her topic, so I wanted to get into it a little bit more, and we can talk about it for uh, a little bit. All right, thanks, Carl. Um, what Don Sterling said was Jews, when they get successful, they will help their people. And some of the African Americans, maybe I'll get in trouble again, they don't want to help anybody. And he said that on the Anderson Cooper show. And it brought out a lot of conversation because I saw the conversations, you know, flying through my news feed on Facebook as well as some of the conversation on Twitter. And basically, you know, what I find interesting, you know, and it's kind of controversial, however, that is their money to do with mm-hmm. as they please. It's their money. Right. It's not my job to count somebody else's change, if you will. And if they want to come back to the community and give back, that is their option. However, I feel as though if you are from, you know, a disadvantaged background, and you have members of your family that are still disadvantaged because what a lot of people don't realize is just because John Doe is now playing in the NFL making $20 million a year, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that the whole family is now making $20 million a year. John is. Mm-hmm. So I would think right. that, you know, John would come back and open businesses. Now, there have been some really intelligent people that have come out of, you know, athletes that have, you know, been able to move forward. You know, Magic Johnson being one of them. You know, he owns, you know, quite a few movie theaters, quite a few Starbucks, and a bunch of other business ventures. He started up these high schools. See, this is the thing. He started up high schools for children that aren't able necessarily to attend or stomach traditional schools. So these are some children that normally would go get their GED or or drop out of school. He started high schools across the country. I think they have about three or four. I know it's one here in Chicago. And what they do is they get those children that are falling in between the cracks. 
and, you know, education is the key. Um, now, Michael Jordan, at one point in time, he wanted to basically start giving children in the inner cities golf lessons. Okay, yeah, you may it may be one or two more tigers out there, but I just feel that a lot of the things that these people offer, you know, I, I just, it perplexes me, but... Again, it doesn't even have to be the athletes that come back to the community. This is one of the reasons why we're pushing what we're pushing as, you know, black skeptics group. We're going back to the community. We're helping out. It can be your everyday Joe or Jane that can go back and that can help. Every little bit helps. And what's interesting is with a lot of us, people of color, particularly black people, you know, we're taught to be charitable. We're some of the most charitable people, you know, period. However, they give it to their church, and their pastors are, you know, buying my box and Austin Van Martins and all of that. So, you know, our priorities are a little skewed, but this is what they've been taught. So we have to go back in and change the way that some of these people think, and that includes some of these athletes. But at the end of the day, we do not get to determine where they spend their money, how much they should spend their money, and who that money should go to. Well, I like to me, I think one of the biggest problems with the quote-unquote giving back to the black community is finding effective ways that your money will actually be effective. You know, it's like just because I'm worth a billion dollars, don't mean I just need to just go in and just randomly sink $100 million into the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not going to do any good if um, the mindsets aren't changed. Well, it's kind of pretentious when you think about what he's really saying, is that, well, you know, they don't give back. Is that, well, it's a more complex problem than that. You just throw money at a situation and, and things happen. I know he's kind of used to that, uh, and you know, why he's been living like the way he's been living for the past, I don't know, 40 years, but things aren't that simple. You know, you can try and do that, but just with uh, Oprah received a lot of criticism for the way she spent her money, and she went over to Africa. I think she started a girl's school, and then when she explained why, people kind of had a oh, aha uh-huh moment where she went over there, there was a effect that she had on the community. She gave education to girls that had none. They wanted education. They desired it. So she has improved the community, but it wasn't the community he was looking at. And I'm I'm sure he conveniently forgot about that. But but But, but I'm going to tell you a secret. This is something that a lot of people don't know. That same school that she opened in Africa, she opened one here in Illinois, in, in Great Lakes, Illinois, and that school was opened before the one in Africa, and they are educating young black girls from all over this country for free. They live in dormitories, all of that. And another thing, um, Morgan Freeman um, has a school in Mississippi. But anyway, my apologies for interrupting you, but I had to tell that part. Oh, no, that's very important. That's something that he conveniently forgot and I didn't even know about. So that's, that's like I said, that the pretentiousness of this dude is is phenomenal. Oh, I, I wanted to also add that he is also suing, by the way, because he felt that he was he was being wrong. Sure. Yeah. I know Dr. Drake... 
I know uh, Dr. Dre caught a bunch of flack for giving money to USC instead of giving money to uh, HBCUs. Uh, you know, that's, again, again, that's, don't, don't worry about where he spends his money. He, he has the right to spend it where he so chooses. He's from California. I don't know what the, the, the presence of HBCUs are on the West Coast, but he's <laughs> in California. He was born and raised in California. He says, yo, I know where the University of Southern California is. Probably people that work in my studio went to that school. It's right there. There's a couple million dollars. All right, cool. He's not obligated. He can't yeah. tell, his thing, cannot tell people how to be black. That's why you have yeah. Alan West and Clarence Thomas. You just got to take them. They're black, but, yeah, that's what they are. You can't tell them that you got to act like me or how Alfred or how Kim acts or how you act. That's how they're going to act. That's what they're going to do with their time. That's what they're going to do. At the end, it, it, what, if what happens is he gives that money to that school and then another young black man or woman sees his track record as a producer and as a musician and decides to emulate them, then we have two, three, four more coming out of that school. Does it matter that he gave it to a, a predominantly white institution over a historically black college or university? No. Education is the goal in this respect. That's all it is. So let's just take it as what it is. But let me get to, to Donald Sterling's specific claim, and here's why we have to talk about it. Because there are a lot of people who will know Stock Clock is right twice a day when he said those words. Like, yeah, we don't know how to work together. There's this pervasive notion in the African-American community that we don't know how to work together. We can't get along. We can't community build. We can't nation build. And that's a pervasive lie. It's a terrible exactly. lie that we all managed to convince ourselves. Let's, let's, let because people don't really understand. They've watched a lot of movies and they have this homogenized view, this pasteurized view of what slavery did to us, what reconstruction and Jim Crow did to us. They don't really understand what happened. Before any of these other communities came along, before any of these immigrant communities, in my home state of Florida alone, there are five um, black people. Black people can come together as a community all the time. They did it ever since the 1700s, 14 years before the Revolutionary War. There was a black colony, a free black colony right here in Florida, St. Augustine. It's called Fort Mose, and they successfully yep. defended this country against the British. They did that. Those are black people and Indians and black Spaniards. That's the first uh -huh. black colony, and there's a plethora of them. Here in Florida, there are four, Fort Mose, Eatonville, where Zora Neale Hurston was born. Here in South Florida, where I am, you have Seminola and Overtown. Those are black towns. We have those communities. And here's the difference, and here's what people like Donald Sterling and some sad, misunderstood black people don't get. Yeah, you can have a vibrant community. You can have a vibrant Asian community. You can have a vibrant Jewish community. You can have Florida. You have a vibrant Cuban community. All of those things are offshoots of communities that we started. And let me tell you what the difference is. In all of those instances, there was never a concentrated effort to kill everybody that lived there. And there wasn't an effort by a sitting U.S. president to take the rights away from people. That's what happened to all of our black towns. 
It was Greenwood, Oklahoma. It was called the Black Wall exactly. Street. The Black Wall Street. It's the Black Wall Street. We had money. We put money into this economy. Here's what happened. We put money into this economy as slaves, and then we turned around as free men and women and put money into it as people who could work and make things happen. The reason that this country is as far back as it is because they didn't count on us as citizens. If you let the, any of these counties thrive, if any of these counties had thrived and were allowed to survive, they would have been vibrant contributors to this country's overall success. We've done it. We did it, and we did it first. Exactly. exactly. So that's where it's wrong, and we're falling for the okie doke. We fell for the single, black people can't have nothing. No, we had it just fine. Somebody took it from us. Hey, we now. Exactly. It was, exactly. It's it's see, fine. that's the thing. When I had Christopher Everett, I interviewed Christopher Everett, and he directed the movie, Wilmington on Fire. And that was earlier this year. It was a few months ago. And we talked about this same issue because I've done shows talking about this specifically. And when we were talking, you know, he and I, and I said, we can build it. We have no problems doing that. We have the knowledge. We have the resources. We can build it. The question is, how do we protect it? Because the, the latest crisis has been, you know, the mortgage crisis. A lot of black wealth was lost. And yet again, no one went to jail. What happened with Black Wall Street, what happened um, with Wilmington and a number of other towns and cities, you know, um, in this nation that were black wealthy towns and doing well, what happened is they burned down the businesses, they burned down the homes, they lynched people, they chased them out of town, and then they turned around and stole the property, stole everything, and those black people were left with nothing. And it happens time and time again. It keeps happening. History is repeating itself. My question is, how do we combat that? How do we protect it? That's the question. Well, the whole the whole thing is, and again, it's one of those things where people just think we just lazy and never tried nothing. That's not true. And again, we have to realize when we say systemized, systematic, and institutionalized racism, it's way bigger. Like again, people just say it's when people say things like it's the man keeping me down. Yeah, it's real. It's very real. This was something after Reconstruction and before Jim Crow. Black people were parts right. of this government. There were people that worked in the post office. Why do you think our cousins and them keep going to the post office? Because at a time, they was giving us jobs. This was an exactly effort by a sitting U.S. president, Woodrow Wilson. Look him up. He wrote the foreword to Birth of a Nation, the most racist movie in Hollywood history. It was a concentrated effort, and then they maintained it to keep us out of it. So, again, how do we get it back? How do we protect it? Unfortunately, it takes two things. It's like you said. You can't just dump your money into everything. There must be some kind of concentrated effort on community building, yes. But we have to also realize that we're going to have to pay more visits to the ballot boxes to become more active in our own destinies because that's where it happens. we got to put people in office that have our concerns at heart and make sure they answer for them. Hey, I ran. I, 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 I campaigned for this president as much as I think everybody else did, but he disappoints me greatly when it comes to the issue of black unemployment and the fact that it's higher, um, it's higher than the national average among African Americans. Yes, he does have to answer for it. So there's somebody else running for office. If there's a Hillary Clinton running for office, I'm going to ask her, what do you have to say about 
the issue of black unemployment being higher than the national average, even though among qualified, you know, workers, potential employees. Someone has to answer that. Someone has to be able to represent that. And, and, and for us, we have to make sure that whoever sits down in the chair saying that they're going to represent us as voters and as constituents, our best interests are being addressed. Um, that's where that's it happens. Can, um, oh, can I throw in something that's not real popular? i got to say this because everybody right. knows how I feel about this. We slept on this presidency. We did not hold okay. Barack Obama's feet to the fire, and we let an opportunity slide. And while he has done mm-hmm. quite a bit to, you know, improve the lives of all Americans, and in some cases, you know, you know it disproportionately um, is more advantageous to communities of color, there was a lot more that could have been done. And I feel as though we slept on an opportunity. And now if, you know, another white person is elected as president of the United States, with some of them, it all depends on who it is, what they may say, or maybe they won't say it, their actions will show this. Well, if you all didn't ask Barack Obama to help you with that, why are you asking me? To me, um, you know, the way to protect it is, to me, there's really only one way, and, and that's to build a black economy, you know, meaning we spend with our own, you know, we, we grow our own businesses versus running to the white people's businesses, <clears throat> you know, because that's the only way for us to truly get I guess a seat at the quote unquote table, you know, is we bring something to the to the world stage that the world wants. And and as of right now, us as black people can only seem to bring entertainment and labor. You know, we can work and we can entertain you. But that's I mean, that's that's one way of looking at it, but then that disregards a lot of people um, right off the top of my head, I could call out a name like Neil deGrasse Tyson, where there are people that are in STEM. Um, there's a very talented lady that um, I'm honored to have, as a Facebook, Danielle Lee, and she does. You know, she's part of STEM on science and engineering and, and technology. I'm in STEM, like like my I'm a I'm a um, an actuary, so I do. Uh, yeah, there you go. Alfred himself, he's in one too. So yeah. <laughs> So, so, so there's there's a, there's a lot of folks in it, and again, that's something that, uh, that 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 the president can call attention to. But here's how that works. I mean, I'm all for about economics, and we can do that. That's one part of the thing. But again, too, and 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 Kim made the mention of having to hold off as a secret flag. Um, he his his promotion of charter schools, while while community schools, especially in Places like Chicago, Newark, New Jersey, um, here in Florida, we're getting shut down in favor of charter schools. That is our president not standing up for us and kind of turning, you know, trying to give his, giving his ear to big business corporations. And we know that when it comes to those guys, well, they're all about making money, and if there's no money for them to be paid, especially in the case of inner city communities, we're just going to get whatever they take. We're going to get whatever they give us. And we're not their first priority. 
so yeah, I, I, I do take a little bit of, I do have issues with our president regarding that. Um and then also too, it's a psychological thing, um, in our community where we're all afflicted by well, most of us are afflicted with the soft bigotry of low expectations. We expect uh, it's been ingrained so much to us that we are in failure that any attempt by one of our own to create something, um, it's regarded as inferior as compared to whites. Even though we're known, even though we know right off the bat they're starting, um, they're starting at a deficit compared to, you know, Johnson and Johnson. But if this brother is making soap, we're going to compare it to Johnson and Johnson soap. You know, even though we're knowing he's starting at a deficit, there's a system that has kept him back. So he has to fight against that to just get in the same room with them. We're, we're all yeah. in the expectations. So we judge him far more. We'll judge the girl that has her own fashion line. We'll judge her far more harshly than we will Donatella Versace, who can get by by privilege and her name alone. She can put together she can put together straight dog shit, but because her name happens to end up. Yeah, like me, like I go. I go to some of these uh, high schools and stuff on like their career days, and and you know I try to promote um, you know STEM education to to African Americans as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And when I start talking about what I do, I mean these kids look at me like they like they're looking at a ghost, you know. <clears throat> they go, uh, you know, what I'm saying that's too hard. That's too much to do. That's too much to study. Well, yeah, I, you know. I've actually I, I have heard that, and that's something that is very pervasive um, because people don't have the support that they need to at home and the confidence to face adversity. I mean, we're told, okay, well, you know, life's going to be rough. People are going to hate you for the color of your skin. You know, we we give our kids the uh, you know the typical speech, but. Uh, a conversation that really needs to be had is that you're going to face adversity regardless of who you are and that how you overcome that is really going to determine who you are as a person and not just as a person of color. So I think we sometimes put a little bit too much focus on our demographic and not enough on ourselves as, as thinkers and as uh, as, as uh, survivors and as people who can overcome great adversity no matter what type of adversity it is. Uh, yeah. and, and that's that's something that I've wished. Oh, no, go ahead. No, and, and just to dovetail us back to the, um, to the original um, thing posting, that was Sterling's a dick. So I don't think we should ever take it. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I don't think we can take his words with a bit of salt, but truth of the matter is... It's an old, it's an old racist asshole being an old racist asshole. I'm saying the thing an old racist asshole would say. So I don't give it any more credence or merit than that deserves. Um, I kind of wish he could get more cancer if that's possible. That's just me. Um, I'm looking forward to it dying out because it, it's it, it's not it's not necessary anymore. And I certainly wouldn't take anything he said as anything that's truly indicative of our community. I always take, I, I see that there are problems in our neighborhood. Um, but then we're talking about a guy who actively created something. So you got to take it from there. It's kind of like Joseph Mengele 
talking about how bad Jews can be. You know? Yeah, well, we kind of did it to them. So that's what it is. He created situations. He created negative environments in Los Angeles where people, black and Latino people, have to fight with each other over limited resources. So he's as much responsible for whatever he's accusing black people of than anyone. He's, he's responsible for it. For the time being, for, for the longest time, he was behind the largest case of, of housing discrimination in the United States history. So for him to come off and say, you know, for him to say that black people don't want to do anything, well, guess what? Maybe if he had let those people have their homes and didn't pester them and didn't try to, 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 to rush them out of their homes or, or to harass or intimidate them, they could have had productive lives where they could have raised their kids properly um, and, and, and become contributors to their community. So you're as much responsible for it than anybody else. You have to remember, when it comes to, 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 to a lot of our issues, we're starting from being pushed back several decades. We had a nice, good start. We had a good start in a lot of our communities, but it was an act outside of us that set us back. It wasn't like, it's not like black people woke up one day and just said, fuck it. You know, no, I can't think of any black person that just woke up one morning and said, fuck effort. I'm just not going to try. That never happened. There are people who aren't going to, who aren't going to reach for that higher, um, for that higher goal and stuff. That's understandable. But for the most part, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the entire black community didn't just wake up one day and say, ah, fuck. You know, I doubt that high. So we, we have to keep that in mind. There was a system put in place. There was an institution put in place to make sure that that young man didn't get that scholarship, or that young woman didn't go to the right set of classes, or those young people didn't have after-school programs or good Head Start programs, or to make sure that those children remain food insecure. You know, that's 59 million people in America. So, but didn't so, uh, yeah. didn't Neil deGrasse yeah, Tyson's mom just release something like that, where she actually described and and somewhat detail about the adversities just like your just like your uh your naming that her son faced because he's already exactly. stated uh well somebody was asking why weren't there more women in science but he specifically said well i'm not a woman but i've been black all my life and he mm-hmm. went into detail in several instances as to different places just just, just like our friend mr sterling has done where yeah. he's purposely tried to have this racialist type of mentality and then make it reality. That's, that's right. what's very, very indicative of somebody who is completely undeserving of any type of sympathy at all. While I don't like any type of, uh, you know, thought policing, I certainly don't like anybody who is helping to perpetuate uh, subjugation and marginalization for another group of people because he deems them unworthy. But great right. irony, Mr. Uh, person of Jewish descent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like with I, me, I, you know, like like the uh, career path that that I'm in, I'm I'm an actuary, and black people are already the minority. You know, out of out of uh, you know about fifteen thousand uh, fully accredited actuaries, only about two hundred are black, right? And so black people are already a, a, a huge minority in the profession. And then right. out of all the black people that are actuaries that I know, I would say 
only about two out of ten are actually from the states. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a lot of uh, Caribbean and and African blacks that that are in the profession. Exactly. And, and so that's what I'm saying. It's a systematic thing. In our neighborhoods, in, in, in African-American neighborhoods, mostly poor, uh, mostly African-American neighborhoods, it's an active... Hey, Carl, we can speak up just a little bit, Carl. Okay. It's like you me? moved away from the mic. Okay, can you hear me now? Am I coming through okay yeah. now? There you go. That's better. All right, cool. Um, Again, like I said, it's an active effort to keep young children of color out of the loop. In more affluent neighborhoods, they have great science, math, technology programs. In African-American communities, they want to make sure all the kids have basketball for some strange reason, or footballs, or peewee programs. Hmm. I, you know, and I, I take nothing away from that. It, it's good to have kids that are athletic. It's good to have kids that are things. But I do want to see more engineers. I do want to see more technicians. We, we've had a lot of, we, we, we've got artists, artists, we've got that a lot. Let's go ahead and get some engineers out there. Let's get some more Booker T. Washington, some George Paulson's going. We got those. We, we, we need some more, um, um, you know, Charles Drew. We need those guys. You know what I'm saying? Not just not just for our community, but for the world. You know what I'm saying? So, so but there's active efforts to keep those people away. There's statistics that show that inferior teachers, inferior educators, are being sent to inner city school. So that means the kids who don't need it are getting it, but the kids who do aren't. And to me, that shows a conspiracy. That shows that, and that conspiracy with the tinfoil hat and trying to tie things to the Bilderberg group or the Illuminati, no, actual, realized people conspiring. Like to say, I want this person for my children, not for your children. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I well, I mean, in in high school, kids typically have built up this this um, this resentment for you know mathematics. I mean, when I was coming out of high school, you know, I was a typical black kid coming out of high school. I thought I was terrible at math. You know, I was a high school athlete. I went to college to play football, and luckily, I kind of got into with some friends that were into mathematics. And so I decided to actually try and apply myself. And beholding me, I was actually pretty good at math. And I had never knew it because in high school I was I considered myself terrible at math. Well, you know, again, it, it goes to the argument that, again, that people who don't want you to know. And then when you add to the mix nowadays, standardized testing. When I was younger, the emphasis wasn't put as much on standardized testing as it is now. And the, the teaching method that, that, that a lot of um, um, teachers have now, the children, they don't teach kids to think. It's repetition. So you just have to know how to repeat what you've got stuffed into your head a couple of months before so you can pass your FCAT. Down here it's the FCAT. I don't know what it's in other places, but down here our standardized tests are called the FCAT. And if they're not constructed, sort of a class, you know, teaching method is not constructed to actually have learning take place. Of course you're going to get sick of math if somebody's just jamming information down your throat for you to digest and just repeat back to them. 
They tell you 2 plus 2 is 4, but if you can't explain why 2 plus 2 is 4, then it has no meaning to you. And those are the teachers that are coming into our school. So if they're not getting shut down outright, we're getting inferior students. We're getting inferior teachers, and they, in turn, are producing inferior students. So it's a cycle, and it's a system. It's something that's put in place. So we, it, a lot of times, uh, there's this effort, even by black people, to put the blame for a lot of our things on us. While there are some things where we can take more of a stand on, I won't just, I won't take that with anybody. Um, there, we do tend to forget that there is a system in place that would rather, that either A, didn't have us in mind to begin with, or B, would much rather not have us there at all. So those are the two things that we're finding in this. So we, we, we have to take that into context. We, and we do have to, uh, that we do have to think about those things when we're trying to tackle the larger issue of nation and community building. So um, yeah, but I yeah. do want to something um, that that we worked at, that that we discussed to have as a part of the show as well. And you know, this was Alfred. Um, I watched his video last week. It was very a first of all far more entertaining than the movie uh, he uh, he was reviewing. So I wanted to talk about it. Is uh, movie uh, called God's Not Dead, starring Hercules. Um, <laughs> I, 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 saw the, I saw the story and I was like, oh, crap. But it's Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo. Please tell me more about it. Of course God's not dead. You're Hercules. You can't die. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Kevin, Kevin Sorbo. He really disappointed me. You know, I tried to give the dude, because I grew up on Hercules. I love coming home watching Hercules. That that was, that was my thing. And the, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of around the time, you know, puberty, so that was a little interesting. But, you know, I, I enjoyed, you know, having Hercules, a big, strong, manly man to, you know, go and, and, and do man stuff like throw giants and, you know, punch uh, ice gods in, in the chin and stuff like that. So, you know. That was cool, and that kind of brought me back when I was like, oh, cool, Kevin Sorbo's in a movie. Oh, shit, he's in a uh, uh, pandering Christian movie. Oh, man, my whole childhood was just ruined the second I saw that. So I said, okay, well, let me uh, let me try and actually give him the benefit of the doubt. Let me say, okay, you know, he has, hasn't done that much in a while. He's just trying to get back into acting. He, he needs something to do. So he's going to latch on to this. But then I saw an interview where he was full, he was, he couldn't wait to do the role, and he was like, yeah, I, I want to portray this angry atheist, you know. We were trying to capture how they're, you know, always angry at God and, and really show people what it's really, I'm really like, like, every negative stereotype and misconception he was full on trying to portray. And that really, really hurt. And I, I really had a hard time trying to comprehend that, that that he was doing this. So let me go in first by saying that Kevin Sorbo, he is playing this character. And this is probably every negative stereotype, negative misconception, anything that you could imagine that a theist could concoct against uh, a skeptic. So they roll, they managed, it's quite interesting, they managed to roll the angry atheist, the tragic atheist, 
the asshole uh, elitist atheist all into one character. And it was it's so hard not to facepalm at this, but it was I had to uh, I got it systematically, and I actually have my Facebook open right now where uh, throughout the movie I was making little notes on Facebook on the comments because some of my, my theist friends wanted to, um, oh, look, one removed me, and one of my theist friends uh, wanted to uh, comment on it because he thought it was interesting that I was actually watching this. So, And the first thing I put, not even 15 minutes into the movie, you see the Christian victim complex. And this, this is, is just, they're being oppressed, you know, this idea that the world's coming to an end and everybody's going to turn against them. Um, and you get introduced to the angry atheist uh, stereotype, but you only, see the, you only see the angry part first because he, he's kind of coming out really aggressive. He's coming out as this intellectual elitist asshole. What he does is he comes in and pretty much bullies the entire class and just puts out this air of, you know, if you got any type of irrational beliefs like <coughs> Christianity, <coughs> you might want to get the hell out of the class because uh, you're not going to last long here because you got stupid. That's, uh, even though I'm being facetious, that's really what his speech was like. Like, it was really pretentious, really arrogant, and really, like, he was using his position and his, his title as a means to bully uh, the other students. And I, I was like, this is the sum total of true ignorance, with true willful ignorance. So as painful as that was, I had to keep watching because I'm like, this This is only the beginning, and they've only shown a fraction of this guy's uh, asshole tendencies. So uh, it, it's, it goes on to this really awkward scene where there's, there's this Muslim uh, girl inside a car with her dad, and this guy looks like the worst overweight uh, uh, terrorist stereotype you could come up with. And he's just, you know, instructing her to keep her hijab on and to, you know, he, he's looking like, hey, you know, don't, uh, no, you know, for, remember your culture, remember your faith. And, you know, kind of hurries her out the car so she can go get her American education. And while everybody else is walking around looking, you know, happy uh, denizens of Jesus' world. So uh, she's kind of, kind of that really uh, superfluous character. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that now. There's, there was no reason she should have ever been her, her father, or the son should have ever been in this in this entire movie because it was just awkward and unneeded. You could have done this entire spiel where they could have lambasted us, uh, however, but they had to demonize Muslims at the same time. But you know that that's that kind of goes to show you that here is the intellectual dishonesty again trying to rear its head. But um. I just found it ironic that they were demonizing someone else for their culture and how they dress, but, you know, uh, who, are, who are the Angelicans and Pentecostals, they do the same thing with skirts, and no one's supposed to look at them, you know, crazy. So uh, now here's something that a lot of people miss when they're doing reviews. Even Dusty Smith, um, uh, the cult of Dusty guy, he did a review, and he kind of prompted me to do my own review, but he, he didn't address that. The girlfriend of the uh, main character, I forget the guy's name, he was, uh, you know, retard. That's what I kept calling him. So he was on a mission. Literally, he felt that he, said, he even says he's on a mission. He, God wants him to do this. God wants him to stand up to the evil jerk face elitist atheist professor guy. I, call, I started calling him Professor Strawman 
for obvious reasons. So I was just prefer to Kevin Sorbo as Professor Strawman. So he has to stand up for Professor Strawman, but his girlfriend's like, this is stupid. Just change, change your major, get it, the guy's an asshole, get out to class, you're trying to graduate, you're trying to get out of here. You know, you're going to laugh about this later. we got a life to spend together. We've been together for seven years, and you're about to let this hinder our life's plans. He's offering him, like, a logical uh, court, uh, logical, uh, logical recourse, I guess I could say. And he completely uh, marginalizes what she's saying in a way that really kind of turned me off. She was being very pushy about the situation because she felt betrayed that his, his decision was very selfish. But he, he flipped that around on her and said, well, you know what? Uh, you're giving me this ultimatum, you know, me going through this or breaking up with you. And so, you know, you, you did this to us. So I was like, you know what? He just mentioned that he's on a mission from God. And he, it wasn't nuanced. It was blatantly stated. And that she's trying to move him away from that. Hmm, what does that sound like? This girlfriend is Eve. This is an Eve metaphor. This, they, they, I don't even think they really even realized that they did that is that the girlfriend represents Eve uh, taking the apple and uh, leading Adam astray. So I was like, wow, here's your misogyny. Cool, they added that in there too. Now it's an official Christian movie. So (laughs) they move on from that, and the girlfriend uh, disappears. She goes into limbo, where good girlfriends go when you don't want them anymore. And so um, he... uh, (laughs) Yeah, he... yeah. Son's me here. Um, so she she goes into limbo. You really don't even see her for the entire course of the movie anymore. Uh, even though it's a really small campus, it's kind of it actually kind of freaked me out because they just like killed her or something. So the the uh, he, he, the kid uh, agrees to start a debate, and that's going to be his project. That's going to be his project is. Uh, uh, to debate or to, to 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 prove that God exists, and he's going to go through a, a series of, um, uh, I guess, uh, how they put it, a series of, I guess, inter, uh, a trial, a mock trial. But the mock trial is, is odd because uh, Professor Strawman doesn't like that because he's feeling threatened, so he turns it into a debate. It's, it's really weird. He changes the rules in the middle of it. But throughout his, his first testimony, uh, I just found it really odd that this kid's in a, in a philosophy class, a beginner's philosophy class, but he doesn't know what a, what a logical fallacy is. He, he starts off by making a genetic fallacy uh, because he's asserting uh, a point. He's quoting, I think it was Richard Dawkins or uh, Stephen Hawking, and then he's discrediting it because it's coming from an atheist, but then he credits a, a theist professor and He's crediting a theist professor of another university and saying that his, and then saying that his uh, position is more valid uh, because he's he's not uh, I guess tainted is what he was getting at. Wow. Yeah, he really he really make he really makes that, and he attempts to use a special pleading fallacy in order to have. Uh, one of the assertions usurped the others. He's not offering any type of evidence, and uh, you know, for this beginning one, other than you know, hey, it's an atheist, and hey, this is a Christian, and he here so too. Look at him; he's special. So, I, I found that awfully cute. Uh, my wife and I are still discussing these logical fallacies because you know, I'm, I'm familiar with 
a, a fair amount of them, but uh, she has trouble grasping some of them, so it was good to have this illustration so I could show her here is someone actually using these logical fallacies to make a point. Exactly. No one else in the class recognizes this, not even the you know smart professor straw man. He didn't recognize this. He just can scowl. He can stand in the corner and scowl at the PowerPoint, which he spends most of the movie doing during these, uh, during these interviews. So... Um, to make matters worse, you, you have to add some more evil to Professor Strawman. And, and here I put um, another evil Professor Strawman. Uh, he's also a lecherous old man that entices good Christian girls to become his significant other. Um, you know, there, there was no way that he could be such a horrible person without having some sexual immorality in there as well. So uh, there's a conversation that happens between him and his significant other where she indicates that he actively uh, sought her out when she was a student of his in, in his class. And so she uh, tells him she wants to uh, practice some type of Christian ritual or something like that, and, and he's going, well, you know, you know how I feel about that. You know, I don't want that kind of nonsense in my house to be like really, really, you know, oddly intolerant towards her. And I had to point out that in every conversation that I've had with any skeptic, Nine times out of ninety nine point nine times out of a hundred percent, I've heard from the skeptic that we are going to be as tolerant as we can if it's reciprocated and not what's being portrayed here. And that um that one show Bell's uh Bell something uh was a yeah so like uh, TV it, one with the atheist right yeah exactly exactly I couldn't remember that was Bell something and. That, the dynamic that they showed where the Christian family was very, very hostile towards him and how they misrepresented him, that's the norm. And more often than not, there's nothing telling us that we, have, we don't have to tolerate, you know, uh, somebody else's beliefs or that we can't. So I just found that really odd, and I, I thought that was some psychological question because they know that they're wrong in that respect, so they have to assert that people are going to do it to them. And it also feeds into the Christian victim complex. So uh, uh, also put here, there's more appeals to authority. Uh, he makes in his second little interview thing, he has to appeal to authority without offering any evidence, but he then goes into my favorite part, misrepresenting evolution. So he conveniently leaves out the modern model of evolution. He, he quotes Darwin uh, from uh, from evolution of the uh, – I know I'm misquoting that um, – origin of the species – he quotes him from that, uh, and I can't name the quote right now. Uh, there was a lot going on uh, during that whole PowerPoint that he was giving. But there's one specific spot that I found very interesting. Uh, he literally asserts that God's magic is the cause of a vast flourishing of different species during a certain time period. He offers no evidence other than, well, it says in the Bible, um, you know, God said there were animals and poof. That is literally his evidence. He offers nothing else other than his theological uh, dogma. And, of course, everybody else in the class just kind of sits and they look with their mouths agape and they're just in awe because he managed to come up with this completely unique and revolutionary uh, claim that no one's ever heard before. Uh, 
I, I, I was trying hard not to laugh because I've yet to hear. Yeah. I, I have yet to hear any any theist actually accurately state the mechanisms or the uh, the mechanisms or state how evolution works accurately, and then say that they oppose it. They always have to misrepresent a certain part of it and then say that they have a problem with it. And this guy does worse than, the, than your average Christian, where he completely leaves out all the corrections that have been made to the evolutionary process and discovering the mechanisms such as bias, mutation, and whatnot. He completely disregards it because it wasn't a part of his argument. So, sir, well, he can assert that Darwin's he's not 100% correct. Cool, that's a given. Everybody knows that he wasn't infallible. But this very intellectually dishonest for someone to go in and use old information that has been corrected for decades and then say, well, look here, the whole thing must be wrong now. But it gets worse. Remember the Muslim uh, female that was kind of just inserted into the story? Well, it gets better. The Muslim father is also an abusive father. So she gets caught listening to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 38 or something like that on her iPod. And the little brother sees it, and the little brother, you know, promises not to tell. So, of course, during this scene, he, the father comes in, and the little brother just kind of standing there. So, obviously, he's told the father. And so the father comes in, and instead of asking her, you know, what are you doing? What's, what's going on here? He just proceeds to beat the shit out of her. And... Forcing her, forces her to renounce the, the Christian God and, and, and swear her allegiance to Almighty Allah and just this horribly graphic and violent scene that turns from him being just this monster to this really neglectful father where he forces her out of the house and just ostracizes her and puts her out. And so from there, you really don't see much of her for the rest of the movie. And like I said, it, that, that's, that scene and that whole those whole characters really serve no purpose whatsoever. They don't even really meet any of the actual characters, I think, until the end where they go to uh, some kind of concert. So um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the other dynamic of Professor Strawman is what I call a tragic atheist. And I have to differentiate the atheist from the angry atheist. The tragic atheist had his conversion, had his or her conversion um, started by a traumatic event. Something horrible happened in their life, and they just said, you know what, screw it. Uh, uh, this, this God thing doesn't work. Now, that can then turn into the angry atheist stereotype where this person is angry at a being that no longer exists, doesn't make any sense at all, but that's the one that's to be portrayed. And so he's the angry atheist, tragic atheist, and also the elitist, kind of all rolled into one. So in this case... The tragedy is, uh, I believe his uh, mother had cancer, and God let his mother die of cancer, and so now he's angry at God. And he openly states this, uh, as you see in the, in the previews, where uh, the kid asks him, you know, why are you angry at God? That's, that's the real question here. So then the kid goes on this, this spiel about uh, evil is atheism's most potent weapon. And I thought this was a very interesting quote. Uh, he had to also throw in there the free will cop-out and misrepresent moral relativism, which I was not surprised to see, 
but he in no way, shape, or form accurately represented what moral relativism is, but was free to offer up a slippery slope argument as to, well, you know, if morality is relative, then why don't we all go kill, murder, and rape each other? You know, that that is always a line that tends to follow, and he follows suit just as every other theist that I've encountered. So this was all to try and be in, in an effort to, I guess, bury the professor now that he's gotten him into a rage, now that he's, he's, he's found the root of Professor Strawman's, you know, hate and fury. But the, the professor was cleverly baited into admitting his hate for God by this freshman college student. The big elitist Professor Strawman could not see that he was being clearly baited into saying, yes, I hate God. I just found that a little less than credible. But the whole thing, this, this whole movie was a travesty. It was, like I said, every type of misconception and stereotype that you could muster that you have ever heard or read from a theist. They are masters at being disingenuous. And that is something that I said in my video is that if you really want to be a theist and you have proof of whatever fairy that you think is going to grant you wishes, that's fine. But don't be disingenuous about other people. You can pretend you know whatever you want to know and you possess whatever powers you think you possess. But when it comes to other people, that's not your domain. That's not your lane. You need to stay in your lane and stick with what you think you know. Because producing stuff like this and then seeing who agrees with stuff like this really shows me their level of integrity. For people who want to claim that they have the moral high ground, I have yet to see it demonstrated. I've seen throughout history and read throughout history that they have been the ones that have been counter-progressive and have hindered progress and have been less than moral while proclaiming to be. This is yet another example of that and that how, how they have to create. They have to demonize somebody. They have to antagonize somebody. There has to be a physical threat in order to keep perpetuating this Christian victim complex. And I think that's the, the biggest thing to me. Um, when, you, when you have a population or if you have a, a membership that boasts itself into millions of things, you can't, you can't also walk around acting like a persecuted party. It's not possible. It's, it's, it's so impossible. You can't, you can't claim there's an evil empire of secularists and, and humanists and free thinkers out to destroy you when when Christianity and most of the Judeo Christian Judeo Christian religions count themselves in the hundreds of millions. You're we're not the evil empire. You kind of are. I mean, you can what a fraction of that might be considered free thinkers. You know what I'm saying? So so I'm like it, that's the disingenuous thing to me, right? Nobody's persecuting you. It's just somebody naturally reacting. And this goes back all the way back to the first topic of our, of our show. It's not, it has nothing to do with you being persecuted. It's somebody naturally reacting to someone doing or saying something offensive to them. And you're just mad because they reacted to it. Like a gay person is supposed to sit there and let you call them an abomination or 
or a woman is supposed to sit there and let you tell her that she's a secondary, um, a second class citizen who must submit to whichever male is leading in her life, or or, or a person who's a free thinker. Uh, you are secretly conspiring with Satan to destroy me. Why am I not supposed to tell you that you are out of your fucking gourd? Why am I not? Of course I'm going to do that. But in their mind, it goes back, It goes to what you call the Christian victimization conflict. You think that I'm persecuting you, and in, in reality, no, I'm not. I'm just reacting normally to somebody saying or doing something offensive to me. That's it. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I can't, I don't, I don't hate God any more than I hate Zeus. I just don't think right. they exist. <laughs> That's all, I don't think, and here's the thing, and this is what it is. To me, a lot of these movies, because this is, there's this movie, God's Not Dead, but then there's also a movie called Heaven is Real. I'm like, who are you guys making this movie for? You're going to go and reconfirm everything this movie says in a church come Sunday or Friday or Saturday of the following week. So why did you need this movie? What was the necessity for it? This is what I'm trying to figure out. Because I saw the clips of it, and I was like, who is this movie for? You guys are just going to go talk about this on Sunday. If I'm, not, I'm atheist, but if I, make, if I get a couple million dollars, I'm not making God's dead. I'm making the Avengers versus Godzilla. You know what I'm saying? If I had a couple of million dollars to make a movie, so what's the preaching to the choir for? What's the propaganda for? People are either going to believe in this or they're not. So who did they really make it for? You know what I'm saying? That's 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 what baffles me. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and, you know those are some great points. But they make those movies to reinforce their faith. You know that's what many of them say. But you know I've personally think they put the movies out there is more so about them convincing themselves and holding on to their faith and and people that may be doubting or questioning or what have you. They're hoping that movies like that will, you know, um, invigorate or reinvigorate, you know, that person's zeal, their their thirst and, you know, wanting to know and having a personal relationship with their God. So it's more so about reinforcement than anything else. I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I've I got too many things pulled up right now, and my headphones going off. Um, it, it's it, it, and you're right. It's not about trying. They're not after any skeptics because they knew they know we're going. They know they're being disingenuous. They they've been told time and time again if they they really want to actually know and learn about people outside their spectrum, they know where to find us, and so they have no interest in trying to portray an accurate depiction of reality. That's not, reality is not their reality, is, is what I tend to tell people. And it's not, a, is there's, there's no easy way to, um, there's no easy way to say this, but they don't live in reality. They live in their own world where their beliefs somehow warp reality. And I've even been told this by a, a funny theist on my Facebook that calls himself my friend, is that, he, he knows because the Bible told him that I know God exists and that I'm just denying because I'm angry. And I've told this guy how, how disingenuous that sounds and that I've asked him, do you realize how offensive that really is? You're saying that I'm sitting here lying to you right now and that 
for whatever type of cognitive dissonance that I'm trying to work around, I am asserting a position with this vehemently as you are, but yet your magical book says otherwise. Now, you're trusting a magical book over me telling you this right now. And, you know, flat out said, yeah, yeah, of course he's going to trust it. Well, I had to resist uh, the urge to call him a fucking retard, but I'm trying to learn a little bit better uh, tech in order to, uh, to, try and, to try and reach folks like this because they, at the end of the day, they're very delusional. It is a delusion that they entertain that they want to project upon other people so they can feed, everyone else can feed into that uh, delusion. Come here. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, in, in my mind, I don't. I, I don't even want to play nice anymore. I mean, as long as you come to me with the respect, like, hey, I don't believe what you're saying, and or I don't agree with what you're saying, but we can have this conversation without insulting one another, then I'm all for it. But I'm. I think I'm done with anyone coming up um, and being using bigotry or misogyny. Or homophobia, or or any any or classism, and then hiding behind the cloak of religion. I, I I truly believe I'm done, and I can't think of anybody more worthy of my anger than those people. To be truthful, so I I I'm much less diplomatic with them now than I may have been in a couple in a couple of years. You know, so I I'm, think I think I'm the opposite. I really think that they do it on purpose, even though they know they're being disingenuous, uh, mm-hmm. because you, that there is such a thing as lying for Jesus. I thought it was a joke, but is that it's the actual? Uh, no, I'm not even lying. It's, you could you could check Rational Wiki. I mean, they even have a source for it. It's been it's been around since the 1800s. They really believe that lying is okay, even though it's kind of one of those sin things. They've they found a way to circumvent that if it gets someone to believe their delusion. So yeah. in some twisted way that makes whatever they do and say valid. And I've brought that up time and time again, is that I know you're lying for Jesus right now. It's okay. You can stop. So it's, I, I, have to, I, I can't completely ostracize them, and I can't show the frustration uh, from being, you know, completely misrepresented and disrespected because then they'll play that into the oh, okay here are you you're being an angry atheist now here's all that god anger and so it's hard to deny what's being said because now i'm demonstrating uh anger so i can say it's being uh, it's actually applied to something else but it's really hard to once you're in that uh once you're in that trap that they said so I found that sarcasm, nuance, and being very passionate, <laughs> it's, it's very effective because then it confounds them. And if they become upset and they become angry, and I'll say, where does this anger come from? Are you angry at reality? And so you, you see that it's the easy way that their own nonsense can be turned on them. And it's sad that I've had to come up with that technique after being uh, frustrated many a times trying to speak logic to it. Uh, this for me is, is practice. This, what we do here is practice for uh, ventures out in public and where people can readily see this because people aren't used to seeing uh, 
atheists in public and speaking out against uh, misconceptions. People are not used to seeing uh, folks of color speak their mind against obvious racism eloquently. They're used to people throwing out race cars. They're used to people uh, throwing out uh, these cliche lines that they feel that they've heard over and over and over again. But once you hear somebody that has maybe a little bit more intellect than you and a little bit more to say and a little bit more knowledge above you, they start to listen a little bit harder even if they disagree with you. So this, this right here is just fertile ground that we can use to, and even to reach a, a broader audience because there's somebody somewhere listening. There's somebody who cares. There's somebody who's like something that doesn't sound right. I don't think this is honest. There's something wrong, and it's serving a purpose uh, for them and their personal growth. Uh, but on that note, I'm going to have to uh, cut this short. It was, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's been fun. My headphones are dying, and my kid is about to run rampant. <laughs> Well, we've already, I, think we, I think we're up against it anyway, so um, if there's nothing else, you know, we can go ahead and wrap it up. You know, if there's anything um, Kim wants to add to, the, uh, add to it as well. No, basically I just want to thank everybody for listening in tonight. Sunday's show will be the first of a three-part series on losing my religion. So this Sunday I'll be talking about shedding the cloak of fear, um, guilt, Silence and shame. Uh-oh, sounds like atheist recruitment. Okay. <laughs> I'll bring you that's, that's, There you go. That's the first of a three-part series. And then the Sunday after that, I'm going to have Dr. Jeffrey Perry on, and we're going to talk about Hubert Henry Harrison. For those of you who aren't familiar with him, he was definitely a black free thinker from the Harlem Renaissance area. And well, era, and he was considered the black Socrates. We're going to talk about that and the invention of the white race. So it's going to be a really good show the Sunday after that as well. Well, I'm looking forward to that, definitely. I just want to thank awesome. everybody again. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again, everyone. I look forward to us getting back together in a couple more weeks. Uh, take care of yourself, and we'll talk again soon. All right? You guys take care. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Great show. Good night. See you around.